Hello and welcome to Quick Looks from the Long View. This episode is being recorded on January the 5th, 2017. And this is an episode in which I'm going to be joined, as always, by my co-host, uh, Lloyd Keller. Uh, we're going to be talking about a couple of new games uh, today from Stronghold. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at uh, the hot new title, Great Western Trail by Alexander Fister. And we're also going to be taking a look at a Sola Fide. So, uh, Lloyd, since we're going to be taking a look at uh, Great Western Trail, I thought it would be kind of fun. Uh, could you say hello, perhaps, as a, I don't know, a cowpoke on the trail to Kansas City? Yee-haw! I'm on the trail to Kansas City! Yippee-ki-yay! Hello, little doggy. <laughs> nice. Here's my beans. <laughs> that was much better than I thought it was going to be. I got to be honest with you. You exceeded my expectations. So I'm a cowboy at heart sometimes. <laughs> well, I don't want to know about that part of your life. But anyway, There's a it's lot of nice to go with, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, it's uh, nice to have you uh, with us again here tonight. As always, I like how I used us like it's the royal we. Uh, <laughs> nice to have you with me again tonight uh, for this episode. And uh, uh, we have been playing a lot of these uh, two games that we're going to be discussing tonight. And so I thought it would be a great opportunity for us to start off. And uh, in just a moment, we're going to kick things off with a review of Great Western Trail. So the first game we're looking at tonight is Great Western Trail. This is uh, released in 2016. The designer is Alexander Pfister. The uh, artist is Andreas Resch. Uh, the publisher originally was Eckert Spiele, and it's been uh, released here in the United States by Stronghold. Uh, this is a game that is all about um, basically uh, the west of the United States, um, and you're, you're kind of gathering herds of cattle, and you are driving them uh, up the trail um, through the, the you know various little towns and places along the way, and you're going all the way up to Canada. Kansas City, where you're then going to sell these cattle um, and then kind of use your rail line to sort of ship them down to cities even further afield uh, than Kansas City, uh, perhaps all the way to San Francisco. So uh, this is a primarily, I would say it's an economic game. Uh, it's also a really kind of a fascinating race game. Uh, it is a worker placement game with one worker, um, kind of has a little bit of that Vital Lacerda kind of feel to it. Uh, when you think about a game like the gallerist and um it, it just has so many things going on there's deck building in there there's all kinds of uh you know sort of individual uh player sort of development there's a there's a kind of a tech tree that you'll develop as you're playing the game um all of these kinds of things you get to sort of juggle and manage you can build stations along the way you can build uh, buildings and trading posts and uh, things of that nature along the trail that will benefit you um your opponents are going to be doing the same thing uh, you might run into hazards if you try to take a, a more sort of off the beaten path trail uh, you might run into flooding or rock slides or things of that nature uh, you might run into um natives and and uh, have to kind of uh, trade with them or deal with them. Uh, there's all sorts of things going on in this game, and uh, it, it's really mechanically incredibly sound, and there is definitely uh, some strong theme that comes through there as well. And I got to say, um, you, you know, I have played this game at the two-player count, the three-player, and the four-player count, 
And I have, uh, you know, spoiler alert, enjoyed it quite a bit at all of those kind of player counts. So, um, Lloyd, there's a lot of meat on the bone here that we can sort of chew on in this uh, review, uh, although this is, you know, just a quick look. Um, you know, there's so many things we can talk about. What I'd kind of like to do to sort of frame this review is just kind of talk a little bit and let you talk a little bit about the things that you find particularly interesting about Great Western Trail. So what are the kind of factors that you really like or that have struck you? Well, what I liked so much about this game, aside from the fact that you've got these great cows that you're driving up this trail and the cows can be anywhere from the Jersey cows, which are worth a dollar to you all the way up to these big Texas longhorns, which give you, I think $5. Um, What I really like about this game, you mentioned that it's a bit of a race and in most racing games, you have like one clear path that you can actually take. And that one path is a path that's shared by all players In this game, you actually have a little bit of variety to the paths that you want to take. Because as you mentioned, there are these hazards that you can possibly go through. Uh, There's spots where you can trade with the Native Americans, and that's a separate path. And there's a lot of just variety in how you travel from the beginning of this board all the way up to Kansas City. I've played this just like you have with two players, three players, and four players. And I found sometimes... I'm just sprinting my way up to Kansas City because I have a really good hand and I want to keep all the cattle that are in it and try and get all of them to sell. And then other times I find that I'm going to really slow myself down because there's a lot of stops I want to make. There's a lot of actions I want to take. There's a lot of things that I want to do. And I find that really interesting in a race game that you actually want to slow yourself down from time to time because it helps with changing cards out of your hand, getting more money or getting resources that you need, getting your train to move along the track. So it's a very interesting take for me, even though, like you said, it is kind of a race. Yeah, you know, I would agree with that. There's there's just a lot that's really kind of intriguing about this. And uh, before we go any further, you know, I do want to say that I love the fact that this is a deck builder with cows. Um, you, you basically have all of these lovely cards that represent all these different breeds of cattle um, from, you know, this sort of basic Jersey cow all the way up to the Texas Longhorn. And each of these cattle are going to be valued differently. The uh, lowest value is one and the highest value is five. And you have a... A particular hand size in this game. Um, you start with a hand size of four, but you can increase that throughout the game to a hand size of six. And basically, what the, the, the way it works is when you get to Kansas City, you are going to be able to sell the hand of cards that are in your hand, but you're only going to be able to sell one of each particular breed of cow. So it doesn't do me any good if I have two Texas Longhorns, uh, even though each of them is worth five, because I'm only going to be able to sell one of them. And so this is kind of what, uh, you know, I think you're talking about there, Lloyd, which is that hand management part of the game where, you know, sometimes you have that perfect rainbow of cards because they're all different colors, too. Um, you know, the, the, there's, uh, you know, red cards, blue cards, green cards, white cards, black cards. Um, and so if you get that sort of rainbow of colors in your hand, you just know you're going to have a great payday. 
Um, but sometimes you kind of draw this monochromatic hand where you have, you know, only one or two breeds of cows. And, and you're like, well, this isn't going to sell for very much in Kansas City. But um, if I sell this cow along the way here, if I trade these cows here, every time you uh, remove a card from your hand, you're going to have the opportunity to draw new cards. And so then perhaps you're going to be able to um, get the cow that you need in order to have a larger set. Because when you get to Kansas City, not only does this determine the amount of money that you're going to get, but it also determines the distance at which you can uh, basically sell your cattle, um, how far away you can move them. And you want to be able to sell your your cattle as far away as you can because you're going to get victory point bonuses, you're going to... Um, you know, avoid some penalties uh, for delivering a poor herd of cattle. Um, so there's all these kinds of different incentives that kind of push you towards trying to come up with a diverse hand. Um, and to make that diverse hand happen, you're, you know, if you're not lucky enough to just draw it, you're going to have to be able to sort of craft that hand by selectively uh, taking out some cards and selling them at different places that are available on the trail and drawing new ones. Or there are... Um, uh, one of my favorite things is there are individual player boards, and every time you make a delivery of cattle in Kansas City, you're going to be able to take one of the sort of discs that is on your player board that is covering an ability or covering sort of an upgraded ability. And you're going to be able to use that disc to then mark the city that you delivered to. Well, the great thing about that is that you've now unlocked an ability on your board. So one of the abilities that I really like is the fact that you can literally just discard a card out of your hand, out of the game. And so it's a deck thinning section. Um, your train has to kind of move backwards. I'm not exactly sure why that is, but uh, it certainly works in the game. It's like a cost that you have to sort of pay in order to do that. But at the same time, you then have this you know, wonderful ability to shed these cards from your deck. And I've even shed high-value cards from my deck that maybe I have too many of. And, you know, this makes it more increasingly likely that I'm going to have a diverse hand when I draw cards. So there's all kinds of really interesting strategies and things that can be done uh, just in the hand management aspect of this game. So that's one of the things that I have particularly enjoyed. Um, one of the other things that I find kind of interesting as well uh, while uh, poor Lloyd is coughing there in the background, <laughs> um, I, I'm going to keep on talking, um, <laughs> is the fact that in the race kind of portion of the game, as you're moving your way up this trail, um, at the start of the game, there's only a few buildings on the board. These are kind of neutral buildings that are available for all players to use. And your movement rate starts off at uh, three, I believe. And so what happens is... When you move one out of your three, you're moving from one building all the way until basically you hit another building, another piece of cardboard, let's say, to keep it simple. And so in the early game, you can zip halfway to three quarters of the way up the board almost in one turn. But as the game goes on and players build more and more of their own buildings and trading posts and things of that nature, then what's going to happen is it actually slows you down. So, you know, a lot of these kind of race games, the game sort of ramps up and this one is almost in reverse. It slows down and you have an increasing number of options 
Um, but your time is going to kind of run out. And so, because it's taking you longer. And so one of the things you might want to unlock on your player board is the ability to travel faster. So there's all of these decisions that have to be made. Um, we haven't even talked about the workers yet, Lloyd. Can you tell a little bit about the workers? Yeah. Yeah, you have three different types of workers that you can hire. And there's this really interesting hiring pool along the side of the board. And as those spots fill up, the workers can cost anywhere from five bucks. No, I think the cheapest one, the cheapest one might actually be like four or three. I thought it was five. I thought it was five. five. Yeah. Yeah. And then it goes all the way up to $9 a worker. And there is a spot on the board. It's one of the random buildings that gets put out every single game. And at that spot, you can hire one worker at cost and a second worker for $2 more. So you have three different types of workers. You have your cowboys, and the cowboys are what let you buy better types of cows and steers in a different spot on the board. You've got your little uh, worker dudes that look like they're builders, and they, surprisingly enough, help you to build your buildings. Imagine that. (laughs) Yes, and your buildings have this little icon in the corner to let you know the number of builders that are required to be able to build that building. The interesting thing in this game is you can overbuild something you've already built and you pay the difference in workers. So I think there's enough spots on your player board for six workers, but the best building you could build requires nine workers. So that would mean you would probably have to have built like a level three or level four and then overbuild that level three or level four with the nine and pay the difference. It's really interesting. Then you have these engineers, and the engineers, actually, they kind of look like the dude from Monopoly. You know, they got the beard and the top hat, and um, their job is to kind of help you move your train along the track. And the movement of the train is really interesting because you can always deliver your cattle from wherever your track is or where your train is on the track and behind But if you want to try and deliver your cattle forward of where your train sits, you have to pay money for that. And you have to go through these little cool, um, they look like little red crossing signs that you might see at a railroad. And so you've got all these engineers. The other interesting thing with the engineer is all of those level one cattle that are in your hand, those Jersey cows, when you get one of those engineers and you cover up that spot on your board, If you have a Jersey cow in your hand, you can discard it, not out of the game, but you can discard it from your hand and get a one-time bonus. So if you manage to fill up all five spots, you can actually use the Jersey cows for something good. Yeah, and that's something that I really do appreciate about the design is the fact that even those kind of low-level cards, you know, the, the designer put in some incentive for you to keep them. Um, you know, as a way to sort of generate income or as a way to take these one-time bonuses or benefits that are um, sort of plastered on the player mat that you have. And there's only a few of them. You know, there's, there's one or two per type of worker. And you have to kind of hire quite a few of them before you get to those bonus spaces. But um, they can become extremely important later in the game and give you a crucial advantage. So um, everything in the game seems extremely well thought out. Um, you know, there's just nothing in this game 
that um, doesn't work well, and there's nothing in the game that doesn't flow well. And, and this is where I'm going to draw the primary contrast between this design and Mombasa. Now, Mombasa is a game that I really enjoy and have a, a huge amount of affection for, but it is difficult to set up. And there's a lot in that game that is kind of, I'm not going to say that it, it doesn't make sense. I'm going to say that it doesn't feel as intuitive as Great Western Trail does. You know, when you think about the bookkeeping track in Mombasa and uh, some of the things, you know, the, the way that uh, the, the shares work and the companies and um, it just doesn't always kind of, you, you understand from a mechanical standpoint how and why it works, kind of like a, a Feld design. You know, mechanically, you understand how it works and why it works, but it doesn't always flow in a very intuitive fashion until you kind of get a few games under your belt. Whereas this one, I've successfully taught this game to many new players, and it's not quite that difficult to explain because things kind of make sense. It's like, well, if I have more Cowboys... Um, they're going to find me better deals, which is why if I have two or three cowboys in my uh, employ, I'm going to get a cheaper price for cattle than if I only have one guy. Um, or if I have uh, you know three or four cowboys, I'm going to be able to buy multiple cattle at a market instead of just one. Like That kind of makes some sort of logical sense. Um, whereas some of the more abstracted things in Mombasa were a little more challenging to kind of wrap your mind around. I don't think there's anything in this game, Lloyd, that I found difficult to wrap my mind around, but I did definitely um, feel that there was just a ton of things that I needed to do and wanted to do, and it's taken me quite a few plays to where I feel like I'm starting to get good at the game. You know, like I think the game rewards that repeated play. Would you agree with that? Oh, totally. I would agree. Uh, the first time we played it, I think I came in last in a four-player game. And I think this was the one that Aaron smoked all of us at like 101 points. Right, right. You and Carter were in the 80s and I was all the way down in the low 60s. And, you know, I, I appreciated the game and I, I saw a lot of cool stuff that I wanted to try. But like you said, the game, as you get into it, instead of speeding up, it's, it slows down and you realize I don't even have time to do some of the stuff I want to do, which is really interesting for a race game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it's that whole idea of just how much can you afford to lay back? Because laying back invariably is good. Laying back is going to get you more money. Laying back is going to allow you to trade with natives that might give you more money. Laying back is going to allow you to cycle through your deck and get a better hand of cards. Laying back is going to do nothing but good things for you. However, uh, you know, if people are racing their way to Kansas City, what happens is every time the player uh, delivers to Kansas City, there is this sort of procedural and it's beautifully laid out on the board, might I add. There's this procedural kind of thing where three new kind of tiles are going to come out onto the board, uh, two of which are usually worker tiles. Sometimes you might get a couple of Native American tiles or a hazard tile, but usually the predominant number is worker tiles. Well, why that's important is because as the worker sort of market, as Lloyd described, it fills, it pushes this little marker further down. And when that marker falls off the board, it's worth two points to whoever made it fall off the board and that's going to signal that this is the last round of the game and so um this is huge you know the pacing of it is really really challenging because 
um, hanging back is so tempting. There's so many great things that you can gain from it, but you can be caught where at the very end of the game, you might not be able to make that final delivery or do that final thing that you needed or get to that final station that you were hoping to, to nab, which is going to be worth points. And so, you know, that could end up costing you the game. And so that's where it still feels like a race game, but it's not anything that feels like a traditional race game because you're actually incentivized to slow down. So these are all things that I find to be really unique about this game. Um, Lloyd, is there anything about this game that uh, you would uh, change or anything that kind of rubs you the wrong way? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, we played a few little mistakes the first time we played it, and it made more sense when we went back and said, oh, yeah, trains can't take up the same spot on a track, and we figured out how to use the objective cards. We didn't even talk about the objective cards. Oh, yeah, yeah, Um, that's a whole other part. Everything in this game, like you said, it just it makes sense. And I can sit there and I can look at the theme of sending cattle across, you know, the the Western Plains. And I can look at it and I can wrap my mind around why this works and why this won't work for me. And why, yes, if I go through all these hazard tiles, I'm going to land on a spot on the board that's really good because you get to do an extra action at that spot because you got through these hazards okay. Yeah, that's one of the things that's also really interesting are the hazards because uh, they basically slow you down and cost you a lot of money. Um, you know, but if you deal with them, there's a, a spot on the board where basically uh, you are able to buy uh, one of these hazard tiles, for lack of a better term. Uh, or, you know, what I like to think of it is you invested the money in clearing the hazard, right? So if the river was constantly flooding, you invested in, you know, a uh, ferry that goes across, a rope drawn ferry. Or if, you know, there's rock slides all over the place, well, you invested the money to get somebody to come in there and do a little blasting, clear it out and you know make it a little more stable or something like that so you spend the money and you kind of get these hazard tiles and those hazard tiles are going to be worth points to you at the end of the game and all of these sort of uh, special extra action spaces where you're not only going to be able to take the action of the building that is on the location but then there's uh, some pre-printed stuff on the board uh you know this is very powerful and so you know, I've seen, uh, I, I've just seen so many different strategies and opportunities and ways of approaching the game, even though, you know, you have the same board with the same locations. And yeah, you know, my one complaint about the game is I, I do worry that there are some locations, Lloyd, that are kind of prime real estate. Like these are the locations that everybody has to pass through. Um, and, and I kind of uh, worry a little bit that, you know, a player who is experienced kind of knows where those locations are and is going to quickly slap out a building um, that is going to, you know, charge a, a fee to players who pass it. And, you know, that that's going to kind of give them a little bit of an advantage. So, you know, if I had one complaint about the game, I, I would just kind of wish that the board itself was a little bit more variable in how it's set up in, in that how the trail is set up. The buildings are going to be variable in how they come out. Uh, every place have an A side and a B side. There's a lot of variety. But the bottom line is um, there are locations on the board that I think are better than other locations on the board. And so this is the only kind of thing that I kind of uh, am a little concerned about for the long haul, the, the long term of Great Western Trail. But other than that, you know, graphic design, uh, the production values are gorgeous. 
Um, you know, no problem. Uh, you know, there, there is a, you know, player mat, uh, and no, it is not uh, cardboard, you know, thick cardboard, but it works, you know, beautifully. It looks really nice. And, you know, I, I know that Steven uh, over at Stronghold has taken a lot of flack about the, uh, the, the player boards in games and, uh, you know, them being this, this sort of thin cardstock. And I've given them quite a bit of a hard time about it as well. But I will tell you, like, I got, um, what was it? I had A Feast for Odin. And there's another game that I had just recently got that had that beautiful, thick kind of, you know, player mat that was, you know, nice, heavy cardstock. And, you know, they just have a slight warp to them. And then they, like, spin on my table and they, like, kind of move. And, yeah. you know, and it's kind of like, you know, and that's when I kind of really started thinking, you know, maybe the Don, you know, God forbid, might be right about this, that when you have the sort of, you know, the, the sort of thick cardstock kind of mats, um, they do lay flat. Like, there's no, there's none of that kind of warping and spinning that I got that was kind of annoying. I mean, you know, Feast for Odin is this giant game, and there's not a square inch on my table that I have to spare. And every time the stupid player board starts to spin, it's knocking into something. And I'm like, you know, this is this is kind of annoying. So I just wanted to kind of throw that out there because, I, you know, I, I really do like the feel of the thick, you know, card cardboard sort of player mats. And, you know, God knows we'd all love to have player mats like Scythe with the little cutouts and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah. you know, those are amazing. But I do have to say that at least these kind of lay flat. And uh, so I, I do see the advantage to that. And I do think that these are, I think, a little bit better quality than the ones in, say, like Terraforming Mars. Um, they just seem to be a little bit uh, better of a finish and possibly a little bit thicker of stock. Um, but they work really, really well. So the components are great. The presentation's great. Uh, the art on the cards is great, um, except for Dr. Zayas on the cover. It kind of looks like Dr. Zayas, Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, yeah. Um, it's a really nice kind of black and white photo of like three dudes, but one of them looks suspiciously like Dr. Zayas. I don't know, from Planet of the Apes. I'm not sure. You be the judge. You look up Google image of Dr. Zayas and then look at that picture and I think Dr. Zayas is in disguise um, learning about humans on the Great Western Trail. So, uh, Lloyd, do you have any final thoughts about this game? Is this a thumbs up for you? It's a big slam dunk for me. I will play this game anytime. And this is one that I think plays just as well, two, three, and four. I don't know if I really have a favorite player count yet for this game because I, I've played it a couple times, two, a couple times, three, and a couple times, four. I haven't had any real massive exposure with a higher player count or a lower player count. So I don't know what the sweet spot is, but I like it, and I'll play it anytime. Yeah, I think that's a great point that you make, and, and uh, I would agree with you. I do not think there's an optimal player count for this game, which is odd. Uh, you know, my usual thing is, you know, max player minus one, and minus one is always my formula, right? So if it plays five, it's probably best at four. If it plays four, it's probably best at three. And I find that that holds true for almost every game uh, that I really have played most of the time. It really holds true. Um, but this game, I, I really enjoy it with two. I really enjoy it with three. I, I haven't really found that the game is that much different at the different player counts. I think it works equally well. And so, yeah, I would agree. That's another big selling point of this game, uh, at least in my view, is that it's not really 
one of those that says two to four on the box, but really should be three to four. And you wonder whether the publisher just threw that on there just to make more sales. No, no, no. This one really does work excellently at two. So uh, this one gets a big thumbs up from me as well. So uh, that's uh, our review. And those are our thoughts about a great Western trail um, designed by Alexander Pfister and published by uh, Stronghold Games and Eggert Spiele. Okay, moving on. We are going to be taking a quick look at the game Sola Fide. Um, this is a really kind of a, when I first heard about this game, I was so kind of geeked out about it, mostly because of the theme. The theme of this game is the Reformation, the history of the Reformation. And it was basically put out uh, in honor of the sort of, I think it's like the 500-year anniversary or something of the Reformation. And so this was a game that I was really, really looking forward to because I thought, you know, boy, you know, what a great thing to kind of take a theme like this and make a, you know, a, a game out of it. You know, this is one of the things that the hobby does that I just absolutely love is take interesting and unique themes and then bring them to life in a board game. So uh, this is a game that came out uh, this year, again, uh, published by Stronghold Games. And the designers are Christian Leonard and Jason Matthews, who, of course, are very, very famous designers and very well-known designers. And so uh, this was a game that was being published by Spielworks and Stronghold. Uh, The artist is uh, Harold uh, Liske. And uh, I was totally stoked for this. Then, Lloyd, I heard little whisperings and people saying, well, this is Campaign Manager 2008 just rethemed. And I was like, wait a minute. Uh, Okay, I liked Campaign Manager 2008, but, oh, man, I thought this was going to be a new game. And I was a little disappointed, to be honest with you. Um, I I just I hadn't heard that about it. Well, once I had the chance to play it, um, I did kind of see that there are definitely some differences here between that game and this game. This is not simply a reskin. So, Lloyd, do you want to kind of give people a little bit of an overview of kind of how the game is played uh, before we kind of move on and, and talk about some of the things that are different and some changes and things that you know maybe we enjoyed or didn't enjoy? Sure. You have these 10 regions that are known as imperial circles, and you're going to be fighting over each of these circles individually. Each circle has two different sides, one side that is the commoners, the other side that is the uh, nobility. And just like you have in campaign manager, whether they were arguing over, I think it was the economy or the military in each state, each one of these imperial circles, you're trying to cover all of the territories on whichever side of that imperial circle currently has um, the control. So if the little marker is on the royalty side or the nobility side, I'm sorry, you want to cover all five of the territories on that side to be able to take control of it, get yourself some points, maybe get a little uh, parting gift from the cool dude who comes and officiates every now and then. <laughs> the, the disputation token. Disputation token. <laughs> I know. That's what, what a and great name when, for that. It is great. And then when you win a region, you actually get to take a bonus card. And they have these four different types of bonus cards one that affects uh, regions by removing all of the influence on one side. 
They're ones that give you uh, more cards or maybe even force your opponent to discard cards. They're ones that let you shift what the influence in that region is, whether it's the commoners or the nobility. And then there's one more that has to do, I believe, with the uh, people who haven't been swayed in either direction yet. They're the, the neutral territories. And what you're doing is you have a hand of cards very much like in Campaign Manager. There is a little deck building aspect of it where you can construct your deck by doing a draft at the beginning. But if you don't want to, there are recommended cards for the first set of, I think, 15 cards is what you play with. And you're going to draw three of those into your hand. And each round, you either play a card out of your hand and do exactly what it says, if you're able to, or if you want to. Or you can draw another card off of your deck. At the end of your turn, if you have more than five cards, you have to discard down to five. Once you clear an Imperial Circle and take control of it and it goes into your score pile, you flip over the Imperial Circles directly underneath it in this interesting pyramid fashion, kind of like Seven Wonders Duel, where you uncover uh, the two cards that might be just below what you removed. And like I said, you keep going until all ten have been taken. At that point, the end of the game, you count up all those prizes that you got from the disputation token. I think they call them presents. They're one point apiece. Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. every Imperial Circle has a range from, I think, three to maybe nine points. Yeah, that's a, a you know great overview. No. So thanks for that. Um, and and it really does kind of have some interesting mechanisms that are very familiar from Campaign Manager. But uh, the theme here, this idea of this interesting sort of pyramid structure, is one of the things that's new. And I like that because as you sort of um, win or kind of win over these different imperial circles, then you're going to be revealing, like you said, in Seven Wonders Duel, uh, other regions. And, uh, you know, you, you have sometimes some agency over that. You know, once you get past that first level, um, you know, there are times when, you know, you may want to kind of move more on one side than another. And that's always an interesting kind of decision to make. Also, um, I found that the game had... Once again, a really nice integration of the theme in that the Catholic deck uh, is very different from the Protestant deck. You know, the Protestant deck is all about these sort of just mass kind of conversions, you know. Uh, there are uh, many cards in the Protestant deck that basically say every neutral territory in an imperial uh, um, uh, in an imperial circle is converted, you know, to Protestantism, you know. And it's like, wow, you know, these are incredibly powerful cards. And so there's this kind of feeling that what the Protestants are all about are just these sort of this religious fervor and these mass kind of shifts in people's faith, right? Whereas the Catholic cards have a lot more of interesting things like, oh, you know, that, like almost like Inquisition kind of cards. And there's kind of like... The Inquisition. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we have two main weapons, fear, surprise, and these nice red robes. No, three, three, three main <laughs> weapons, fear, surprise, these nice red robes, and an almost fanatical dedication. To, no, four, four. Anyway, um, that's enough money, Python. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. So the the, the Catholic deck is very different, um, and it it has kind of almost like these military cards. As a matter of fact, that's what they call them, um, where they can kind of smack the Protestant player around a little bit. Um, but when they do that, there's a cost. There's a backlash against that. There's actually a die in the game, and you'll roll that die, and you know you you might end up getting some sort of a benefit based on that sort of aggressive move by the the, the Catholic side, right? And that's kind of reminiscent of a campaign manager, but I kind of like thematically a little bit more in how it was implemented here. So that was kind of interesting. And then there's this whole new section, which is these bonus cards, right? Um, that I do not recall from campaign manager at all, um, which is going to give you, you know, when you score that particular Imperial circle, it's going to give you the opportunity and you get to choose. There's like, there's different stacks of cards. So, if I'm looking to add some influence, uh, I'm going to pick from that deck. If I'm looking to remove some of yours, I might look at this deck. If I'm looking to draw more cards, because in this game, the only way to draw more cards is to basically pass your turn and draw a card, uh, unless you play a card that says draw a card, which are my favorite cards, uh, because it kind of keeps your hand full. But, you know, again, that hand management aspect is really important. And so... Uh, you know, anything that's going to allow you to draw, you know, a few cards into your hand is going to be really powerful because you're going to be able to play several turns in a row before you have to kind of take a turn off to draw a card and then see if you can get something that's going to work for you. So um, I really kind of uh, enjoy this game, um, I think, a little bit more than Campaign Manager because Campaign Manager is, is such a, a moment frozen in time for me. It really is all about that particular election. And this theme that is being used for essentially the same system is a little bit further removed and is sort of a larger stage than just a single American political election. And so even though it is equally abstracted as Campaign Manager 2008 was, I really feel that it's a better fit with this theme than it was with that. Um, there's just more replay value. You know, there's only so many times I could play the Oprah card in campaign manager. Or the you know, governator. And, uh, the governator, right? I mean, there's only so many times I can play those. But, you know, the the I don't know why, man. I'm sitting here and I'm saying, yeah, well, there's, there's cards in, in this game that I've gotten to know too. But for some reason, they just feel, maybe it's because of the age, it just feels a little less... Uh, of a narrow band or a narrow view. It's like a grander sweep of history. I don't know. I feel like I'm starting to babble at this point, but um, I kind of like that about the game. At the same time, I am a little bit disappointed in that I was hoping for a little more than just that tug of war again. I was hoping for a little bit more theme. I mean, obviously I'm not going to get here. I stand. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that game's already been done. And if you want to spend eight hours, you know, that's what you're going to play. But, you know, for this one, I was kind of hoping it would have a little bit more theme, like maybe, you know, more of the map than the Imperial Circles where you're kind of maybe putting, you know, influence markers down and, you know, things like that. I don't know. I don't know exactly what I was anticipating, but uh, I did feel a little bit kind of disappointed in that I didn't feel it told as much of a story as I was hoping it would. The themes there, I think, um, in in a lot of ways, especially with the cards, but the story's not there, like the narrative's not there. Um, that being said, 
the game is a lot of fun to play. I would definitely recommend doing the draft. I, I would not really recommend playing with the pre-constructed deck. Uh, those of you who are familiar with Campaign Manager 2008 know what I'm talking about. You know, those are fine cards, but they're kind of vanilla. And it really is, I think a lot of the enjoyment in this game is kind of going through that draft, picking out the cards that I want to use in this game, and tailoring it towards a specific strategy. Like the last game I played with you, Lloyd, I mean, my strategy was to do basically nothing but take cards that allowed me to draw cards after I played a card. And I I left a lot of those mass conversion cards out of the deck. And, um, you know, it, it ended up being pretty effective for me because I was always able to be on on the offensive. I didn't ever have to really have role of just passing and drawing cards. So um, that was an interesting strategy. Um, there's just all kinds of uh, possibilities when you're constructing that 15 card deck. So, and I also love the fact that, you know, it's 15 cards because you're going to cycle through that deck several times. Yep. So it's not just like you're going to see that card once. Um, and then there are cards that let you fish through your discard pile and all sorts of really cool and interesting things. So mechanically, the game is definitely a winner for me. I do really enjoy this game, and I actually think that those pre-constructed decks are not really as bad as I think that you're making them out to be. I've played Campaign Manager 2008 plenty of times, and I played this game a few times, and the first time I played Zach, he crushed me using the basic deck, and I had the basic deck as well too. So we didn't do the draft, but he just managed to always, kind of like you did, always end up getting cards into his hand at the right time. And he always managed to get the cards that he needed at the right time. And, I mean, it wasn't even close. He took six out of the ten Imperial Circles. So, I mean, he had almost another 15, 20 points more than I did. It was insane. So I really enjoy the deck-building aspect and doing that draft because I like being able to see all the cards and I like mm-hmm. the agonizing choice of looking at the three cards in my hand and going, I want to keep all of these. And I yeah. know I can't. Yeah. yeah. Right. Or I don't really want any of these cards. So, okay, I guess I'll put this one in, but right. that might clog up my hand at one point. Um, so I, I kind of disagree a little bit with you on that spot, but I do like the game a lot. It is much shorter than campaign manager Because campaign manager, when those states come out, you get to look through the entire stack of states and you get to pick the one you want to put out. So if your opponent's really kind of hammering you, you can throw something out with a real low electoral count. And if they win it, so what? Maybe they got another three votes. It's not excelling the game any farther for them. Um, But this one, you know, it only has the same 10 imperial regions over and over again. And it really does come down to those last one or two, especially if you're trading back and forth and, you know, you take one and then a turn or two later, I take one, Mm -hmm. you take two. And then maybe I take one and a second one, you know, it it really, I think in a different direction than campaign manager did. 
Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that. Um, and you know, while I do disagree with you about the starting decks, I, I do get the point that you're making. And and I will also say that I was really encouraged uh, that Zach beat the snot out of you with the Catholics because so far I had been running roughshod all over you with the Protestants. So uh, I was beginning to worry that maybe the Catholics were somehow disadvantaged, but. Um, it, it appears as though they weren't. So I don't know what that says, Lloyd, but you know, I'll let you interpret that for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was a lot of fun getting yeah. squashed over <laughs> and over again. So, uh, you know, for me, I would say that, uh, this is, this is still a thumbs up. Uh, it's a little bit more tentative of a thumbs up. It's not like the, uh, overwhelming, uh, praise for great Western trail that we just had, but I still think it's a, it, for the length of game, it's a fun game. You have interesting choices. Um, that's what I would say. Uh, what about you, Lloyd? You're giving this a thumbs up or no? Yeah, I give it a thumbs up as well. I would play this one you know, pretty regularly. It's not my favorite two player game, but it plays in under an hour. It's got some good choices. And again, if you're going to do the draft at the beginning, that's kind of the hearts I find uh, for the, the onset of this game. Yeah, definitely. The draft, I think, is something that is essential. So, uh, well, you know, uh, that is our review. And those are our thoughts about uh, the second game, uh, Sola Fide uh, by Spielworks and Stronghold Games. Well, that's about all the time we have for this episode of Quick Looks. I want to, of course, thank my co-host, as always, Lloyd Keller, for stopping by and sharing his thoughts about uh, the games we love to play. Lloyd, thanks for stopping in. Oh, anytime. I always enjoy it. And, of course, we want to send out a thank you to our generous sponsor, GameSurplus.com. If either of these games sound interesting to you, definitely uh, give a shout over at GameSurplus.com and uh, put an order in. Uh, they have these titles in stock uh, as of the recording of this episode. Uh, this is uh, a great place to go for uh, online board gaming purchases. You're going to find not only the latest and greatest uh, from the newly released games, but you're also going to find a huge inventory of uh, imports. You're going to find hard-to-find uh, and very different games. Lots of the small card games coming over from Germany are being imported regularly at GameSurplus.com. Um, just a, a fantastic catalog and a growing catalog of games is available. So go and check out why they're our favorite uh, retailer when it comes to buying board games online. And if you do decide to put it in order, please be sure to tell them the long view sent you. So for Lloyd Keller and myself, I want to say thanks to everybody for listening and have a great night.